to episode 53, Fish Across the Pond, Miami Marlins UK podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt, and the boys are all back. Lee Dobbs, Lee, how are you? Yeah, I'm as good as always. Good man, good man, Dan the man. Yep, very well, Pete, thank you. Good man. Clean up spot, Rob Newell. Rob, how are we? Yeah, I'm fit and in good condition. I'm just ready, getting ready for the call up. I, I was playing a bit of uh, softball in in the garden with the kids the other day, so I'm I'm ready if the Marlins need me. I'm I, I can serve my duty with them. I mean, it's not out of the realms of possibility that 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 call may come. So, you know, if you get the US uh, dial code or whatever it is, you know, answer it. I'd say I've got a mean <laughs> slider. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've heard you like the hamburgers. That's all I know, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, it's been a topsy-turvy week, let's say. Uh, There's there's no other way of getting, you know, we can't get away from that. It's been it's been insane. And, um, you know, how things play out in the next few days, I'm, I'm intrigued. But let's let's go into this with a. We've had a series against the Phillies and we've won the series 2-1 and we've played well. And we're going to start the podcast there because we need to. What we saw on the field was great, exciting um, and emotional, actually. I, I, I feel very emotional talking about it, actually. You know, just that performance on the Sunday in the face of adversity with four guys, four starters missing and... You know, going down 4-0 in the first, to pull out that performance was absolutely exceptional. So let's talk about the on-field stuff and let's then, you know, dive into the other stuff. So opening day, Sandy was on the mound. It feels right for me to come to Rob Newell to talk about Sandy. Uh, Rob, he is an ace, correct? Oh, yeah, very much so. That was... I, that's. That I think I I know he had some exceptional pitching performances last year, including complete games. But that was was amazing because not just it was you got the extra pressure of being sort of opening day, but you're coming against the the Phillies ace as well. So it's not like you can give anything away. Um, you're coming off in in a situation where you know it's a very unusual season. Um, he would have been all warmed up and prepped for when the season was supposed to sort of kick off in March and then had to be shut down and then start up again. But he just looked like he'd been pitching all season and just be, you know, absolutely on it, on form, on fire. And it was just amazing. And the Philly didn't know what to do with him. I think there was revealed, uh, wasn't it, was it Nick Vincent saying that, that, uh, mm. that the Phillies were quite worried about him. Yeah. And you could tell um, they, it, it, you know, apart from, I think it was um, who hit the home run just uh, for the Phillies. I try to remember now. It was uh, Gregorius, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Beyond beyond that, um, he didn't look flustered. And I also think he could have gone further as well. I think he could have had more innings. So yeah, absolutely exceptional. He is the ace. And if he if he you know, if, if all the issues that have happened recently, if they hadn't happened and he'd kept going and this had been a normal season, then yeah, I think you could you know, easily slot him in as an all-star again. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, exceptional, really. Yeah. Absolutely. I I was totally blown away by, by Sandy, I must say. He, he looked great last year in parts. I've never seen him pitch better than he did on opening day. Honestly... I was watching him thinking he looks on the mound like DeGrom. No shit in you. That's what I was watching and feeling. That, that's what I was feeling when I was watching. I was like, you know, there was a level he was at last year, which led to him being an all-star. Some may knock it and say, well, you know, it's a Marlins all-star. They have to have one. But he he looks another level above. And he, we know he came into camp ready to rock and roll. Donnie said it. First day of spring training 2.0. Sandy's ready to go now. He can go six now today, and uh, like you said, Rob, I, he he could have, you know, he could have rolled, and I think he wanted to. But um, hey ho! Um, first just, just look, 
I was just going to say on, one yeah. other one other thing about um, uh, sort of the way that sort of Sandy was pitching as well. Well, actually, two things. One thing, you know, like when you're watching someone like Degrom or Scherzer when he was on form, or Verlander and, and Cole, those kind of pictures, is that you? They're the ones you can think are. Oh, I'll go and make a cup of tea this inning or grab a beer because I know they're just going to fire through and I, I'm really, really confident. And it was a bit like that. You were watching that thinking, he'll get him out, he'll get him out. Mm. But what I was quite interested in, because there was a lot of talk um, about his his different pitches and his, um, his sort of change-up and his slider and how he's moving it about. Well, half of his pitches were fastballs. Mm. So... And they, they were fast fastballs too. He's exactly. added some. He's added some guns, hasn't he? And that was it. The range of pitches he had. There was there was a few curveballs in there, but his slider, which was especially going in, with the the bats had no idea what to do with it. His changeup was fantastic, and, and it induced a lot of swings. But the fastball, as I said, that had that extra velocity. Mm. Yeah, he, he looks at a complete package. Uh, absolutely, Lee Dobbs. I come to you next. Uh, so. Sandy rolls through what six and two thirds? Yeah, six and two thirds for Sandy. Mm-hmm. We then get the first look at the new Marlins high leverage bullpen because this is what was spelled out to us before. We we're expecting mix and match, but these three guys of Box, Yimmy, and Kintz were the three that had been, I guess, mooted going into the season. And we got to see them straight off the bat. And they delivered. So we've had some we've had some horrendous bullpen issues the past <laughs> couple of years, mate. Uh, how, how are these guys shaping up for you? I mean, are they filling you with confidence. Are you liking that combo as well, Box, Yimmy, and uh, and and Kintz? Yeah, I mean, for I mean, for me, they they look good. I, mean, I think they gave up. I mean, in, in that game, what was it? Two hits. I think they gave up. Two yeah. or three hits. You know, two hits. One, yeah, yeah. In in, in three innings, all, all, almost. So that that was good. I mean, I mean, yeah. It fills me with confidence because Garcia came in, in in another game and looked good as well. You know, as did Box. So yeah, and Kinsler as well. Actually, he he came in. So so yes. So far, they you know those three have looked good. I mean, the rest of, of the pen has maybe. <laughs> I mean, Stanek has been, you know, he got got blown up in his one, you know, one game. But yeah, in terms of of that back end, yeah, it, it was strong. And for me, that's probably the strongest seven, eight, eight, ninth inning, you know, guys we've had in a while. Yeah, agreed. Agree on that one. Like they do look as a combo. Yeah, they look the strongest combo we've had for a long time to go kind yeah. of seven, eight, nine. Yeah. And there's there's other guys as well that have looked good as well that have we've seen in the past you know well, I guess the subsequent two games that equally you go okay you know yes. some I mean, of the it's, it's, there. Yeah. It's, it's miles away from last year's I mean I mean the pen just, pen just wasn't trusted you know, at no. all so yes yeah so far obviously there's been a few dodgy ones but yeah on the whole it's looked good yeah okay good well let's um, so. Starting and pitching, we're covered. We we have, we have a we have an ace. There's no getting away from it. And I I think we sneakily have more than one ace, but we haven't seen him yet this year. But anyway, we'll you know we'll see what happens there. Let's go to the offense, Dan. Let's do some damage because James Rouse and whew, he's got these boys coming out <laughs> spicy. And game one, you know, it's a tight game. It was a very, very tight affair. Um, you know, Sandy obviously pitched well, but but so did Nola. And it was interesting on the on the broadcast actually. Todd Hollandsworth called it out and said, "Nola has it in him where he starts to tire and he can give up give up something into the latter innings." He called that out early doors. And uh, Aguilar, you know, what were we expecting from him? Delivered big time in a big spot there, and I think that that's that home run sealed the game pretty much, mate. But from the new look offense, what are you liking? What are you seeing? Who's impressed you most so far on the offensive side? 
Well, who's impressed me most has to go down to El Capitan, of course. <laughs> I mean, what a start to the season Miggy's made. I mean, so, just incredible. Just incredible. I mean, it's just all over. Just with the bat in the field. I mean, uh, you know, pick the, I think I've already got my favourite moment of the season with him in the field, picking up that uh, that double play where he, he hurdled the player and then mid mid uh, air arrowed it to first base and I loved his tweet afterwards as well because he's wearing those uh, Jordans saying I just want to be like Michael <laughs> <That's a forward laughs> awesome. brilliant touch awesome so Miggy has been and he's, I think with the bat he's hitting something stupid like point nine 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 or something <laughs> something amazing <laughs> like that so he's just been ridiculous he has but also um, Aguilar's just come in and done exactly what we want what, what we got him in for to do um, you know, home runs already, a couple of home runs already. Um, looking sharp, looking big. You just uh, you feel with, you just feel confident when he's in, he, he comes up. He just looks big. He looks strong. He look. He just you just think, yeah, this is something we haven't had before. Although having said that, again, long time since I've seen him. But every time I see Garrett uh, Garrett Cooper, you think this guy's enormous. <laughs> he's absolutely. Yeah. He's just a tank, isn't he? Absolutely yeah. huge guy. Um, but yeah, just just look. It just, there's something that I haven't seen. I've only been supporting the Marlins for a short time and I haven't seen us look in any way competent with the bat since I've been supporting them. And now every time, I know it's only a very short sample size, but it's very hard not to get excited when you see that we've suddenly got a bit of power and a bit of pop. Um, and when you're down by four runs, you don't just think in the first innings, you don't just think, oh dear, long day coming. You think, well, you know, we've got some guys that can do some damage back and we have. So it's been um, really, really exciting. And uh, I know we'll probably come on to it, but Sunday's game, whew, that was uh, that was incredible. That, that's my, probably my favourite, one of my, well, yeah, one of my most favourite games being a supporter of this, this club for emotional reasons and uh, just for downright entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's not peak too early in the podcast. Yep. So let's let's hold a little bit of juice back for for later on. Um, I, before we go into some other players, I need to because well, we're on to you now in this cycle. Let's talk about game two briefly and <laughs> what what Caleb described as a horse shit outing <laughs> he wasn't far off was he he wasn't wrong he wasn't wrong the thing is pete when us when i watched sandy um come in and uh, i only watched the first three innings of the first game because it was obviously on late um but you could tell straight away he was on his game you thought mm-hmm. yeah th- this is going to be a sandy innings uh, a sandy game and i watched uh, caleb smith come in and the first three balls strike strike strikeouts and I went, here we go. Here we go. Come on, Caleb. It's going to be the same. And that, that was about as good as it got. <laughs> After those first three pitches, yeah. it just went bad. It just, it, it couldn't get in any rhythm. Everything. I think he walked about six guys, eight guys, it might have been. Six, uh, yeah. A career high, career <laughs> high in walks. For, um, so just everything was too high. Everything was too, too, just a bit wild. It just wasn't in rhythm. Um, but that can happen. That can happen. It's early season rustiness. Um, I've still got... All the faith in the world in in my guy, um, but it just wasn't it wasn't Doctor K as we knew him. No, and I, I think it, you're right. He he couldn't quite get it going. The walks were just a huge huge issue. Um, I was the same as you. I was like, okay, so what's Doctor K got in the locker? First batter up, you know, three pitches done. I was like, oh okay, here we go again. Happy days, and then it, it kind of tailed off from there to come out of it. Three innings, six walks, bases were juiced at least once. <laughs> to come out of it only giving up one earned run yeah. was yeah. was a miracle, to be honest, um, because it was everywhere. There was also what is my favorite pitch of the year so far, where Bryce was at bat, bases were loaded, and he threw this this curveball that froze Bryce for a strikeout to end the inning, and it was. Yeah. Awesome. It was a huge, huge nuts pitch. Like, he didn't have it, but for me, he showed the bollocks to throw that pitch and to strike out Bryce in that way with the bases juiced. Because I'm telling you, you throw curveballs like that up in that zone like he did in that ballpark, like Didi showed us, they can disappear very, very quickly. <laughs> so, Caleb didn't have it. But, you know, we look at that game, guys, and, and Rob, we, you know... 
Nick Nider came in, so he followed up Caleb, and you know, he got it to you know, we're almost six innings and we'd only we're only one run. You know, for all the 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 dross that we threw, particularly in the early stages, you know, we were still really, really in it. And then, you know, obviously things went a bit sideways for, for Vessier and, and for Stanek and, and Tarpley as well. Like the, the guys in the bullpen, it didn't happen. But equally the other thing, the momentum killers guys just last year, like, you know, it was like Stalin Castro was taking every other at bat. It was grounded a double play after grounded a double play, wasn't it? It was nuts. So I don't think we could have played any better, uh, sorry, any worse than that um, in terms of offense. Pitching was, was, was erratic. So, you know, but, but the thing that I was heartened by though, Rob, was that we were in it, right? Like even, even though we were terrible, we were in it. Yeah, that, that's true. It could have gone a lot worse for Caleb, um, especially with the walks problem. It, it could have ended up unraveling very, very early for him. But we kind of he kind of got it back, and um, it wasn't a it, interesting from the the first game, and then what we saw then in the game on Sunday that it wasn't really an, an offensive game. For yes, we had four ground into double plays, which doesn't help at all. Um, yeah, there there were some still good performances there. Rojas got two hits, um, and um, and sort of Brian Anderson showed some really good patience at the plate. He's really mm. seemed to developed on um, a couple of walks there. Um, you know, it, it, it looked looked like in previous seasons when we got to a position just like the first game where, we, or, or sorry, in the in the the, the game we saw on Sunday where we kind of fall behind, we kind of think, mm, that's it. <laughs> uh, there's not much chance of getting back into it. But you kept believing that it was going to happen. Um, and I know it wasn't, for Alex Fessier, it, it was a bit of a rough outing, but got to remember, it's his debut. Yeah. And the same thing happened for Jordan Holloway um, and, and, and for Nick Nidert as well. Remember, these are players that have come through the system. Well, Nidert was part of the D Gordon trade. Um, but um, you're really talking about guys who are at a trip double A level with very very minimal sort of triple A experience in Nick Nidert's case. Um, so to, to to throw them into that kind of situation, yes, they may struggle. It's a fantastic experience for them. So I don't really sort of blame Alex Bessier. I got worries about Ryan Stanek. Um, yeah. He was really an opener for the Rays. Yeah. We tried to bring him in as a closer, and something's not working there at all. Mm-hmm. And if we're not going to use an opener, it just seems to be a bit of a uh, a spare part. Uh, well, if you can't, can... we may need an opener. Like, you know, the way <laughs> things are going, it may, all of a sudden, the experimental piece needs to come in. You go, actually, do you know what? Let's put Stanek back in there as, as an opener and try him. Like, you know, particularly if we're, if we're having to do bullpen games in the coming weeks, who knows? Like, I'm the same as you, Rob. I've been thinking exactly the same. Here's what we know. Stanek was awesome as an opener for the Rays. And you're right, it has not clicked with the Marlins whatsoever. For me, he's got the tools, but it isn't clicking. Don't know why, but it just isn't. Um, so, you know, try it again. Um, Lee, let's, let's just talk about a couple of the new guys very briefly as well. Because it's been our first look for some of the guys, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've had, I, in many ways, all it's been pretty much positive anyway. Let me start with Corey Dickerson, though, mate. Views on him, I've never really seen much of him going, going into this season, I've got to be honest. But for me, I was blown away by him, actually. <laughs> um, what's, what's your take on, on Corey? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, you're good, I mean, he's hitting, you know, well. What was it? Was it you know, he, he's got a home run already, you know, an RBI. Yeah, and as you're saying, just seeing him, you know, at, at, at the plate, he looks, you know, you know, you know good. He, you, you, you can tell he's got the pop in, you know, in his bat. Obviously, the question with him has always been his health. So, mm-hmm. if he can just stay healthy, then, yeah, you know, he's got, got good, you know, you know, potential to hit. I mean, short season, so... So like fifteen home runs or so, you know, in 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 a short season or something like that. But yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, he looks strong. As I say, all of the new the new guys have chipped in well. I mean, I mean the, the whole the whole offense. I mean, 
as a whole has been good. I mean, we've scored, I did make a note, 17 runs we, we've scored. I mean, in, you know, in one series. How how many times times did, did that happen last year? <laughs> I think I think Rob, we had 20, we need Rob 27 Yeah. <laughs> you know, the whole offense, you know, is, you know, is clicking and, and it looks good. You know, Aguilar, as, as Dan said, is, you know, the power is there. So yeah, for, yeah, it was, it's been a strong start, you know, you know, like the offense, and the new guys have just slotted in well. Yeah, can I can I just ask you as well, just on the new guys, not on the offensive side, just talk to me about Jonathan VR at centre field, and how we see that actually playing out. Because let's be honest, he was exposed early doors yeah. with that, you know, proper routine fly where you've got the graphics coming up saying end of inning before the ball's yeah. in the hand is. <laughs> I saw that, yeah. <laughs> I, saw that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was an obvious concern there. He's not a centre fielder. No. You know, <laughs> he's playing centre field because he is. Um, but it's got to be a bit of a concern, right? I mean, you know, in close yeah. games, you just cannot be doing that. Yeah, you cannot be yeah, doing like that. He, he will be... Uh, a liability, you know, out out there. But at the minute, I mean, we, I mean, with you know, with, you know, the way Miggy Rose started, mm. we can't, we can't, we can't exactly put him at shortstop. No way. <laughs> so second base, but but Diaz, you know, he's, I mean, Diaz is going, he's going to be be the future. So we don't really want to take him out yet. And I mean, yeah, you know, he started well. So the only other place he can play, I suppose, is DH. Mm-hmm. But so, so yeah, I mean, at, at at the minute, it's more just filling a hole, you know, you know, a need in the lineup, just filling the space. But yeah, as you say, in the long term, he won't be the answer there. No, <laughs> no, no. True. I, I it, come to you on on Isan actually, Dan. You know, he he didn't play the Saturday the Saturday game. He obviously played opening day, um, struck out three or four times, then came back well on the Sunday and hit the ball hard. Um, we know it's a big season for Isan. We know he slightly underperformed last year, but. What's your sense on on him and early impressions on on Isan? I mean, it's only two games, so yeah, it's it's always going to be difficult. But all you can hope is that they start relatively quickly because when you've had a poor season, and not, you know that even that might be a bit harsh because you know he came in first year, uh, you know struggled a bit, just couldn't get anything going with the bat, but he didn't he didn't do anything to impress. Let's put it that way, rather than saying it's a bad season. So you wanted to see him make a make a fast start. And, you know, he's, he's been great. You know, he's hitting the ball hard, as you said. He's got a couple of runs, I think, already. Um, you know, a couple of hits. That What else can you ask for him? He's coming in. He's, he's, playing, he's playing well. He's, he's even managed so far to um, to escape the Jersey curse so far this season. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think that, you know, I'm rooting for him um, because he's got number one on his jersey. And I think that's bold. But... Uh, yeah, as I said, I think uh, the, I think it's going to be an exciting season for Izan. Yeah, me, me too. The tools are there, and 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 we know, you know, James Rowson was was loving him. That was the feedback. Was you know he's he's the the guy that's impressed him most, I guess. And I, just thinking of his profile, like it, it's the perfect profile for him. Like he he swings, you know, it's a damage looking swing, isn't it? You know, he wants to just hit it into absolute oblivion yeah. when, he's, when he takes it at bat, which is part of, you know, that's the problem, right? He's going to strike out because he, he does look to make some heavy, heavy contacts. So, yeah, I it was a bit, you know, a bit unfair, you know, after the first game, people were on Isan's back already on Twitter, like, you know, oh, no, no, you know, strikeouts galore, but he came in well. Rob, come to you, the DH. Let's talk about the DH because... One thing we should okay that M- M- Miggy Rowe hasn't DH'd specifically, but Miggy Rowe's been hitting broadly, you know, ninth in the order, give or take, um, eighth, ninth. I guess, you know, taking the pitcher out of there and Miggy at the bottom of the lineup and doing what he's doing, you know, it's it's had a positive impact on him. But what's the what's the early take on the DH, mate? You liking it? Are you a fan? Are you in? Is it here to stay for you? Well, I'm a fan on the basis that um, we, you know, we've we've had a series win with the DH, um, and we didn't have. So if we if we just just take who we've had as DHs for those games, 
So for the first game, we had Garrett Cooper coming in as a DH. He got a, a hit and an RBI. So that was all pretty positive. Uh, Aguiar was the, the DH in the next game, but uh, didn't make any impact. Uh, not like the impact he made with those big home runs in the first game, the third game. Uh, and then in the final game as a DH, we have VR, who also didn't actually make an impact. But yeah. um, the in, putting that aside, I think it was the, for us this season, you had someone coming in as a DH, you felt dangerous with the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Um, rather than having Sandy come in. Caleb Smith, remember, is, is, uh, is decent with the bat, but you'd still rather see Aguiar, Cooper, VR uh, there instead. So um, especially if, if Jose Urania was batting, who's, who's pretty useless. Um, so, you know, so from that point of view, it felt quite normal because we've got a really deep offence. And it felt quite good. In previous years, you'd have felt that it's actually a big disadvantage to us because we'd have been putting in someone, um, you know, not with those kind of offensive tools, maybe, or actually keeping somebody in there um, potentially off form um, that we've had before, trying to fill fill a spot. So I have to admit, I really didn't want the DH to to go in because I really like the strategic element there is where managers have to work around. I've got a pitcher coming in. What do I do? Do I take him out uh, and 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 put a, 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 a you know a hitter in, or do I keep him in for the next inning? And does the if if I take him out, will the relief pitcher blow up? And you know all those kind of little intricacies there. And you used to see. Um, players being walked um, before the, the pitcher was going in, think, right, actually, we want to get to the pitcher. We've got two outs. We'll get... And how many times did that backfire? So you used to get those kind of little intricacies um, in strategy that used to be really interesting to watch. And they're all gone now. But yeah. um, when, when you're in an offensive um, uh, powerhouse that we are, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not missing it at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> we are an offensive juggernaut at the moment. That is that is true. That is factually correct. So, well done on bringing that up. Nice segue, and uh, tipping my cap to you, Alan Witz, as you listen to this podcast. Nice segue. That's two drinks, by the way. Um, let's talk about Sunday. Let's talk about an offensive juggernaut and what is my favourite Marlins performance all time as I've been a fan. The backdrop to this, guys, is, you know, Alfaro already tested positive on, you know, before opening day. Big loss, huge loss. And I think we really felt that on the Saturday when, when, when Wallach was in. You know, it's, you know, it's when, when you've got the NL DH juiced, you can't carry a, a, a catcher that can't hit. Like, that's the point, right? Everyone's, everyone's lineups are juiced because you've got the DH. So when you're on your third string catcher, it really impacts you. I felt like it made a massive impact to us on, on the Saturday. So Alfaro's down, and then we get you know the news breaking that Arrhenia scratched, uh, and, and Coop and, um, and Ramirez equally are all, are all missing and, you know, Reports are flying everywhere that it's COVID-related, which obviously it turns out to be. So, absolute scenes going on in the clubhouse there. What what transpires is the guys knew or got the information, you know, early on, you know, on Sunday. Um, Donnie lets uh, Duggan know that he's going to be starting. And the other guys are missing. So, full shake-up. You get, you know, the first start for Mags. Um, you know, Duggar's in. The boys have a horrendous start. I mean... We haven't spoke much about the Phillies uh, and and the way they performed throughout the series. Those guys, that's full of danger too. You know, when you look at that lineup, it's full of danger, particularly the top end. You know, the Hoskins, Harper, Riamuto, DD. You know, these guys are, are superstars in their own right. So <laughs> it's a tough, tough lineup, and uh, we navigate them well. But wow, to that performance to put that performance in and win that game like they did was absolutely insane and exceptional and everything that goes with it. Dan, as you're watching this game, try and summarize that for me as best you can in your most positive way that you do. Like 
talk me through it. Yeah, well, as you, as you just said, with, with the news that broke before, you just didn't know what was going to happen uh, on the field. And when you when you saw us get off to the start, we did, you uh, you, you started to wonder, you know, mentally if that, how damaged they'd been. Um, you know, the, the whole situation that had come almost on the, the brink of this game starting. Um, it could have been anything. It really could have been. And the only thing you sort of hopes there is just don't do too much damage, you know. Uh, you just get through it without being obliterated, or just get your heads together. Get just take it in, innings by innings. And when you see uh, Dagger, he, I don't even think he completed the inning, the first innings. I can't remember now. Um, but um, d- d- the good thing was, is we got a an immediate response, and I think that was really important. It didn't even have to be. Am I right in saying? Sorry, the whole thing is a bit of a blur. Am I right in saying it was it was four or after the second? Did we come back with four immediately to respond to their four? It was four. Yeah, we. Then we can see again. It was four, four all, but then they scored, so it was five four coming out that, of the second. That's right. See, yeah. I mean, even I think when we got, we I think we got it back to about four two, and you thought you just thought great. You know that that's now put us back in the game. We we can we can get something working with that, and it just seemed like once we got back into it, I almost felt like it was one of them things where you thought there's only going to be one winner here now because it was almost like a. Uh, an Istanbul Liverpool thing where, <laughs> yeah. where it, it the, the momentum took over and suddenly the the relief was there the the um the fear of lose like the fear of getting obliterated was gone um and suddenly they could relax and when you've got that lineup that we've got that is now well and truly capable of hitting dinger after dinger in some mm-hmm. putting something in the in the stands and we're backing it up with also very importantly we're backing it up with some exceptional uh, work in the field it just felt like everybody was buoyed by it and as you said even when it went a bit back and forward I just felt like that the momentum was always falling towards uh towards Miami and it just felt it just it was one of them performances that you just thought we've got this we we have taken this by the scruff of the neck and it was such a an entertaining game first and foremost there was some great. There were, as I said, there was some great performances. Just lovely, to, refreshing to see us hit well. Um, we pitched okay after that as well. Just as you said, on the back of adversity and the back of what had happened, um, massive, massive respect and um, for for all the players for doing what they did. But first and foremost, as a fan sitting here, the other side of the world, just enjoying. Watching the Marlins play so well was just, uh, yeah, just a, a brilliant, brilliant game of baseball, and it absolutely hats off to them. In July, it should be said too. In July as well, yes. <laughs> I mean, I think I think one of the guys said on um, on commentary that th- this was the first time Marlins hit um, the first time Marlins hit four home runs in a game was something like game one two seven or something like that yeah. last year, yeah. and we've done it. <laughs> we've done it in game three. <laughs> well, I so mean, is all you need to know. Uh, and when we look back at the, the titles of the podcasts that we did last year, I mean, everything was linked to winter and to ice and whatever. I mean, we, we just had no offensive production, did we? It was yeah. it was crazy. Um, Lee, I, I don't know why it's fallen this way, but it is. Um, I, <laughs> uh, only because we've, you've already commented on the, 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 high, the high leverage guys, the bullpen, but... <laughs> How much were you sweating on at least, well, there was at least two bases juice situations, if not three bases juice situations. Yeah. So as you're watching this game, mate, and you've got what is in effect Stephen Tarpley, Jordan Holloway debut, Jeff Brigham uh, pitched a bit last year and actually pitched very well, I thought, um, on, on Sunday, followed up by Jimmy Garcia, Boxberg and Kinsler. I think there was three jams we run into. Yeah. How much were you sweating, mate, watching those? <laughs> A lot. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, had visions of of grand slams, you know, all, all, all flying out. But no, I mean, no, I mean, they did well, did well to you know to escape those those jams. And that's so, yeah, I mean, on on the whole, I mean, I mean, having to pitch, I think the pen, the pen pitched what six innings in that game, so, you know, six and a third. So they done well to to miss. I think they gave up one run. Was it? I think. Brigham may have done so. Yeah, yeah. I say they, they you know, escaped those those jams just, um, and we and we avoided avoided the beginning, you know, and let and let you know, you know like the the offense run away with it. So I think the offense scored in about 
what like five or five of the first seven seven innings. So 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 so, so the bottom, the bullpen, you know, yeah, was that like, really good? Yeah, you're right. That's an interesting point, right? Because when you keep just scoring runs, you know, inning after inning after inning, it just the momentum's rolling. You're just pouring yeah. it on, like. The Phillies yeah. just couldn't keep up. Um, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you yeah, as, as say, that's something that's different from last year. Yeah, where we where we just just couldn't score. So yeah, you know, yeah, it's good to to just keep you know, you know, going and going and going. It's good. Oh, who would who would have thought we'd be saying that the Phillies couldn't keep up with the Marlins yeah. with all their best <laughs> with all that power <laughs> in their lineup? They couldn't keep up with the Marlins. Mm. Uh, absolutely, but. <laughs> When you look at the Marlins, the way they've been constructed now, it's it's a really intriguing lineup. Like I, I know, I asked you earlier, Lee, about Corey Dickerson. Uh, for me, like just watching him, his plate discipline is yeah. exceptional. On yeah. the Friday, the opening day in particular, I could. It's almost like he can flex and do what he wants to do at any moment. If he wants to to you know be very watchful, he yeah. can. That's but if he wants to put the power stroke in there. Yeah, that's there too. Yeah, you know, you know, as a situational, you know, your hitter, which sounds yeah. you know, something, something, something we've been been missing a lot as well. Absolutely, like he just looks a legit guy. You know, we haven't had these guys that can just you know you count on them to hit three hundred and you know, you know, you, you prorate home runs accordingly. But you know, over one six two, he's hitting thirty home runs and you know hitting three hundred. Like he's there in the the three spot and reliable guy in, in, in left field and you know he's here for next year we know that uh, unless obviously trades kick in which you know it's, it's possible but I was really impressed with Corey Dickerson he's, he's blown like Aguilar we know what he is if he gets going he gets yeah. the power stroke going Force, yeah. you know, he's he is what he is and he's a fun guy he's a great clubhouse guy the power threats there you gotta love him I've been slightly you know VR hasn't kind of Caught fire right off the bat, um, but you know, watching him, he's dangerous. The thing for him is he's been picked off maybe two or three times as well. At first base, yeah. so he's, he's constantly picked off. And I must say as well, I mean, you've already touched upon it, Dan, earlier. Miggy Rowe, holy moly, Miggy Rowe, absolute scenes from Miggy in this first three games. So I mean. Just incredible. What I can tell you guys is Miggy, Miggy said to me, he's had a hitting cage set up when, you know, when lockdown <laughs> kicked in. He's had the hitting cage at home. And he did say, I'll probably be an advantage above the other guys who haven't had those facilities. And it's playing out like Miggy's just stayed in form. <laughs> so I, 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 I really wish that that would have been the perfect Sunday if he had got that, that double he needed. The no, yeah, for, yeah, for the first, the first cycle would have been amazing. Wouldn't it? I mean, there would have been. They, they clocked him, didn't, 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 didn't they? On one of the. Because he, he, he had two shots at it. One yeah. of them, they, they hit him. He almost took so. a chin shot, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was close to the face, caught him on the top yeah. hand and whatever. Yeah. Which wouldn't have been good. But um, in summary, what a series. And the Marlins roll out of Philly with a 2 1 win. The problem is. And this is where things are going to get a little bit sticky with this podcast, guys. So we'll, you know, but we need to cover it. Unfortunately, the Marlins haven't rolled out of Philly yet. And so, you know, that's the problem for us. And Rob, I'll come to you, mate, for a, for a first jab at this one. You know, the, the summary of this situation is the Marlins have more than half of their 33 in, in both the 30-man and the taxi combined have now tested positive in the past few days. They're not, they're not playing um, anytime soon. Monday at the earliest, we record this on, on Wednesday. So, you know, we're, we're uncertain what the future holds for the Marlins, but from your perspective, mate, and your, I mean, crystal balls out. How can you see this playing out for us? Uh, Is there an opportunity that they, we even could just be expelled if that's the right word? Um, yeah, so the one of the problems they've got is um, returning to Florida, where under the regulations, as I understand it, they would have to quarantine for 14 days. 
And um, I did read a really good article by our friend Jordan McPherson in in, um, in the Miami Herald, where he said that the, the governor can overrule that, and so they won't have to quarantine. But if that's the case, that adds another two weeks when they if they return to to Florida and would basically annul the season for us. So there there is some risk uh, around that side of things. But the there, I know there's a daily testing schedule which Derek Jeter has put forwards that they're now doing. Um, but you've got to get that clubhouse completely clear and that everybody's got to come back negative before you start again. Um, the Nationals, quite rightly, I think, said they didn't want to play their series. It, it looks bleak. And the only other way of doing it um, and is to use the taxi squad. But the taxi squads have been exposed a bit in the fact that even Rob Manfred said it wouldn't be competitive um and that's the problem because you'd be just chucking out loads of guys we saw how jordan holloway alex Vessier, etc struggled you'd have the whole team pretty much bar lewis brinson um you know bar jordan yamamoto who really don't have much experience they have picked up a few um signings here and there of the of the, the waiver wire and free agency logan forsyth has come in today that's a good example of bringing in someone with a bit of experience that can help out. But they, they, that's not going to be your, you know, offensive, you know, juggernaut, offensive powerhouse with that um, really strong looking rotation we had. It's going to be a completely different, different team. Rather than rolling out with Sandy Alcantara, are we going to be rolling out with, you know, a, a mismatch of, of, you know, players that were starting in double A, single A last year. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, we, we want to see, you know, Jordan Holloway, etc. eventually, you know, get in there and, and and get the opportunity to to try and get a place in the in the in the five man rotation, but not now. You don't want to see him coming up to be destroyed though, right? That's the point. I exactly. Mean, so that, that, levels, right? If you put guys in who've, you know, haven't had the opportunity to progress through the levels and go, you know, slingshot in from basically high A or whatever, they're going to be destroyed. And, you know, what happens next? You know, yeah. no one wants that. You know, the Mar- no one wants the Marlins to be rolling out there with a, you know, what is in effect, not a, not, not a triple A, but a double A or a, a high A team. Like, no one wants that. I think just stand back from all of this. This has happened to us, and thankfully it hasn't happened to any other team. But what happens in... I don't know, mid-September, when it affects somebody who's playing against another side who are in the pennant race. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they... The are... <laughs> well, yeah, but that's what I mean is, uh, I don't know, let, let, let's just pick some standard teams. But let's say you're the, you know, um, I don't know, the the Astros, and, um, you know, you're, you're one game clear at the top. Um, and then suddenly, boom... Um, you're out, you bring your 30 man in and then you lose your games and you lose your place out of the playoffs. It might not be unlikely because there's obviously expanded playoffs, but uh, that could really, really affect things. Or you could have teams suddenly having a full sweep just because, in effect, they're basically playing a double-A team. doesn't seem right. I, th- I, I think when the six, when they talked about taxi squads, I, thought we, I think we were thinking, oh, you get one or two players... But because of their separation, everybody else will be fine. You can bring them in, and it's just like a, a normal IL, um, yeah. but it isn't, and it it doesn't really work. And uh, one of the things that was called out quite rightly, what you said on the Batflips Nerds podcast, um, Pete, was that if this happens to one of the other bigger teams, I think that the whole season, MLB season, could be a massive risk. The Marlins season, I think, is on a knife edge. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fair summary. Dan, come come to you next on, on this one, buddy. Um, you know, we all know you're a you're a basketball man as well. They've taken a different approach to this, you know, this reboot. Um could could MLB flex now? Because I, I look at this situation, this is this is my view. I my sense is They've been on two planes, so they've they've been in Miami in spring training 2.0, no issues. They've gone on two planes and a couple of buses and whatever you do, 
next thing is the whole team is pretty much fully infected. The travel with air conditioning pumping around and the lag of testing, mate, you know, it's it's just stupid. It's stupid. The, like, the bubble, to me, seems the logical sense. But could, could MLB flex now, maybe look at it differently and go, do you know what, let's try and minimize travel. Let's just create some hubs, you know, an analyst hub if you need, and just flex the schedule completely. What's your thoughts on that one, mate? Yeah, I think it uh, it needs to have something because this this is the first weekend and look what happened. Yeah, you know it's um it, I just don't see why 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 did they think this was going to ever be fine? Why why did they think that this was like the, the answer was just to travel from city to city? I know they they reduced some of the travel and they made it a bit easier in that sense, but it. it Without working in a bubble, or as you've just put there, like a a divisional like working, I just I just don't see how they thought there was ever going to contain this. This is the first weekend, and the Miami Marlins have now got more um, positive cases than the whole of New Zealand have. <laughs> so when you look at things like that, you just think like, it's just like, I don't. The, the, the thing is, they spent they spent far too long in the summer worrying about money worrying about how things was going to look on that sense than actually getting a plan forward. Now, I know that basketball is a lot easier in a bubble sense because there's nowhere near as many players and so on. But that was a, a structured organisation that took a plan forward that in every sense, they said, this is going to be the safest environment we can put you in. And all the way through that, they've had 0% rates, not a single case. Mm. So I get it that that's easier to implement, as I've just said, than it is with Major League Baseball. But I just, I, you could see this coming a mile off. This was the first weekend. And as Rob's just said, I haven't got any more to add to what Rob just said, because I think he summed it up really well. What yeah. happens when it's a, when it's a title challenging team it's, and, and what if that's mid-September and suddenly that's it. it, it They've got a lot to answer for, I think, and you, yep. you could make a real serious case that the season should just stop. Yep. Lee Dobbs, come to you, buddy. We've talked about how fun Sunday was, and it was. It was very, very fun. Should the Marlins have played Sunday knowing that four guys in that 33 were already positive and likely, probably more were likely, you know, in the coming days. Yeah. I mean, knowing what, what we know now, I'd say, I mean, obviously the answer I'd say now is no. And the fact it was apparently decided by a WhatsApp group, you know, not decided by you know, someone, you know, in the league or something, it was the players who decided to play. Surely the league should have just said, no, that's it, you know, you aren't playing, regardless of who it was. So, yeah, that's, I mean, so, yeah, we shouldn't have played Sunday because we, we put the Phillies at, at risk as well now. Obviously, I know that they've come back. I think twice now with no, you know, you know no positives. Mm-hmm. So that's so that's good. So obviously, it does seem seem to be to be to be contained, you know, in the Marlins team. Yeah, I mean, where to go from here is, I mean, who knows? I mean, there, there is a real chance that they just they just kick kick the Marlins out. Yeah. So I think they did it. They did it with MLS. Have done it with two teams. Was it? They just kicked kicked out the league. And I think it was the women's league as well as to have done it. They've just said no. I see, you know, you, you know, you, you aren't playing. So yeah, it's I know a bit of an unbalanced to schedule a lot. I mean, the way they've done it, I think I said in our chat, our group chat we had, they've said Monday, whether they've done it, thinking that our, our Orioles games aren't aren't going going to matter come come September. So then so then we so then we can, we can just forget them. Uh, and the Nats game games we can make up, you know, in a mm-hmm. double header because we, we play them enough. So we can we can in theory, in theory make the games back up, but that's if we if we play Monday, which I mean obviously that 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 is still in in doubt as well. And so and and, and it's just you know what sort of team are are we going to be, be be playing? You say it's going to be 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 like just just minor leaguers and you know scrubs who scrubs who we've picked up you know from from like the waivers. So yeah, it's. I mean, MLB's in a, in a tough spot now with how to proceed. I think mean, now they've started, it's it's going to be tough to just suddenly now say, "I see it, stop mm-hmm. it." I mean, can you shut down the whole league for fourteen days and then carry on again? That, I mean, that, that that's tough ask. Then you're going to be running into November, yeah, you know, for the playoffs, and which, which obviously the weather's would then have would then you know, 
have issues. So yeah, and I, I, I can't see what they can do. At the minute, it just seems they're muddling along, hoping that it is just the Marlins that that you know that it's, it's caught and that come you know come a few weeks you know you know, you know we're back playing mm-hmm. and it's sort of, sort of swept you know under the carpet. Yeah, and, yeah, forgotten about. Yeah. Good points, Lee. I, I, I firstly think if anyone in MLB is thinking this is going to be the only situation, then there's, you know, it's extremely naive because this isn't a, a Marlins issue. This is just an issue of if you're asking teams to travel together with two day lags on tests and asymptomatic guys, this is just going to happen. So there's an extreme amount of naivety that goes into that. Uh, just just on the other point you made, I just wanted to add a little bit, just on the group text thing, um, which I think has been an interesting, I guess, wrinkle to this that, that's kind of cropped up the last few days. Um, really, that group text was to from Miggy, and that, that did happen, and Miggy confirmed that to the media, that that, that happened on, on Sunday. There was a group text, but it wasn't, it was focusing on the health side. It was to check to the guys, do you want to play knowing what we know? The protocol for MLB was, and hence you have the taxi squads, you have these guys traveling. If someone tests positive, they quarantine and you switch in and you play on. That's the protocol that MLB have given. They had no degree of tolerance built into this to say, once you hit three, four, six, nine, twelve, you shut it down that I've seen anyway. Um, so, you know, the group text thing was more to say, are we comfortable from a health perspective ourselves to play? Not should we play MLB stipulates you play. Hence, that's what the taxi squad's there for. So isn't that the, the issue sort of with this, though, is that the, there seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding on the virus. If somebody gets it, there's an incubation period. So you've got no idea if everybody else has got it. So exactly. the, the rule should have been, and this is no this is no fault should be put on the Marlins really, or Miguel Rojas definitely, and, and Dot not Don Mattingly, is no. the fact the understanding should have been, look, a plague tested, that's it, you close it down until you're fully clear. Yeah. And you're confident you're clear. Because that's how the virus works. And that seemed to be a fundamental, complete misunderstanding on how this works in the MLB protocols. And this is where they could get themselves caught out. You keep seeing little bits on Twitter about this odd player is now not playing tonight. Mm-hmm. And everybody thinks, uh-oh, is it COVID? <laughs> yeah. And some, a lot of the time it isn't. But if it is, then that team needs to be completely shut down for a period of time as well, whether that be seven days minimum or 14 days or whatever. Um, that I think is where the real problem is. Yeah, Dan, we need to talk about this topic too. So we're just going to tackle it head on. The Marlins reportedly tearing it up in Atlanta in strip clubs, which has led to this outbreak, mate. Any truth behind <laughs> this report? Well, I mean, the thing is, these reports shouldn't—they—they they shouldn't be allowed to go out, really, unless they're and. Unless they're factual, which you, you've got to assume that this is a lot of rubbish. Why, why is it? This is damaging. These are careers. These are human beings. Why is it, this is something that's hearsay? And I know that a lot of people will say, well, that's reporting for you. But when it's something about a serious situation um, that could shut down um, a team season, could even shut down the entire sport season. Well, this the, the, it really doesn't sit well with me that that's allowed to go out um, by verified accounts when there's no there's a very very good chance that there's absolutely no truth in it. Doesn't sit well with me at all. Or me, I think it's absolutely shocking actually that that's been allowed to go on, and not only are they these guys tweeting about it. Um, they're joining other pod, you know, podcast after podcast after podcast because, well, that's the world we live in and everyone wants a scoop on what's happening with the Marlins. And you've just got these guys just pumping out their, their opinion. Mm. You can have your opinion, but you cannot report it as the news. 
And that's the point, right? Like, we can all go, it's okay for him to think, and I'm talking about you, Bob Nightingale, because that's specifically what we're talking about here. It's okay if you think that the reason this has happened is because one of the Marlins got sloppy, went and had a few too many chicken wings and went to a nightclub or whatever they did and caught the virus. Fair enough. You can have your opinion. But you cannot report it as fact because I haven't seen any facts about that. In anything you've said in any podcast you've been on, there's no facts. So that isn't reporting. That's just hyperbole. And it's dangerous. And, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. Maybe things will come out. I don't know. I'd be very, very surprised because... The Marlins and Miggy Rowe as the leader of that clubhouse. Trust me, he runs a tight ship. He does. They all do. The Marlins run a tight ship there. There was no issues in Miami. They've left Miami and the shit's hit the fan. And there's, that's the problem. There's so many variables. So many variables once you step outside of your bubble. Exactly. Flights, flight attendants, bus boys, taxi drivers. I don't know. It's just... It's just, you know, you can't see the virus and, you know, it is what it is. So, anyway, shocking reporting. Guys, it's almost at the hour. Um, a quick round the horn, and it is purely a, whether you want to cut, whether it's a yes, no, or a percentage, I don't know. Let's have a percentage. Just, why not? Because uh, it may be percentages that the Marlins rely on at the end of this season. <laughs> so, let's start with you, Lee. A percentage that the Marlins complete this season. Well, what play all sixty games? Not all sixty, but they they make it to the end of whatever type of season it flexes to. Yeah. Or are they expelled? I'd say still at the minute about seventy-five percent they. They find a way to play, but like saying what you know, what what the team team looks like, you know, mm -hmm. in 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 the coming weeks is 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 like you know, yeah, the, the real question. <laughs> Absolutely, but yeah, seventy five percent that they they muddle through somehow and finish the season. Yeah, good uh, and good segue again to you, Alan Witts. Um, um, Rob Newell, Fangraphs have it at uh, well. I think they still have it as well. The Marlins' playoff percentage is 12% at the moment that they make it. What's your Marlins' playoff percentage? Um, on Sunday, it would have been, I'd say, 80%. <laughs> um, uh, wow. Um, but uh, now I, I have a concern that rather than having... Um, you know, I, I, I fear our next game, and no offence to these players at all, but I fear that our next sort of opening lineup of bats is going to be Lewis Brinson, Eddie Alvarez. Um, and um, you know what I mean? It's, going to, it's not yeah. going to look the same um, than, than what we've, we, we've had, and that may not carry us through. So I'm going to reduce that to a more realistic 25%. Still double fan graphs. Well, I, I, we're, we're at the moment, uh, if if everything clears up within a week and we get loads of negative tests and we start rolling again, we've still got the same strong side. We've yeah. just got a few double headers that could mess things up a little bit. But this this season's got going to be a roller coaster anyway. So, um, yeah, so 25 percent. I'm positive. Love yeah. it. Dan, the perfect end. It's the MVP race. Miggy Rojas, El Capitan, percentage he gets MVP. Well, I mean, I, I thought I, I should have started the uh, episode on the introductions as Miggy Miggy Row for MVP. I was actually thinking that as you was in, as you started the pod and then forgot to say it. Um, <laughs> yeah, if again, if it all comes back, I mean, what just a, a brilliant start. Uh, just there's no finer sight than Miggy Row in full flow, and already he's given me. Uh, the best moment of the season. I don't care what happens from now on, but that, that hurdle and arrow for the double play was my, my favourite moment of the season, whatever happened. So, fingers crossed he gets back because uh, friend of the pod, Miggy, is, uh, is, is, a, is a sight to see. But, oh, Pete, who knows? Who knows? I mean, what we, we, don't, know, we don't even know if they're going to play uh, for the foreseeable future. It could be weeks before we see them again. Um, so, in that sense, you've just got to look at it realistically and say it will be very low. Um, but, 
if not, that's no uh, detriment to Miggy because um, hats off to you, my friends. You've been outstanding so far. Player of, player, player of the week. Player of the week, without a doubt. Absolutely. <laughs> we don't even need a player of the week. We don't even need the FATP player of the week. It, it, it is Miggy. It has to be. Um, guys, as I'm looking at the clock here, it's tipped just into the hour. So we're right on schedule this time. Um, I'll thank all of you guys for joining me. It's been... I mean, that's an up and down podcast as well, but appreciate you guys coming back to talk about it. Some, some tough topics. So some fun, some, some tough topics. Um, but we, we will end things to say to the Marlins guys and the staff, get well guys. And we hope to see you soon. And I think that's probably the right place to, to leave it guys. So that's episode 53 in the books. Lee, Dan, Rob, awesome to talk guys. We'll be back next week. And to the listeners, thanks again. We'll be back very soon.